Craig. I'm going crazy. I watched all of Veep. But there's something to be excited about. The Cougs got a good recruit. Whoa, crazy. <laughs> I drank 12 beers on my birthday. Yeah. I had nothing else to do but sit around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's a, that was a... I, I, I did not prepare that song very much. I just... Uh, <laughs> I prepared the first word or first sentence and that was it. Sarah was like, Hey, we should go drop off some beer for Craig for his birthday. And I'm like, I don't think he needs that. Oh, and people did. So, uh, some of my friends dropped off three large, like full size Georgetown growlers. And I'm like, I saw that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then my mom, because E9 is shipping uh beer, like delivering to t- Tacoma addresses sh- on Monday, I had two more bottles of beer arrive. So um, I'm definitely not uh, not wanting for beer. Yeah, uh, are you okay after your oh, birthday? Yeah, yeah I, I uh, <laughs> well, I, I had I had the twelve different beers, and that was my goal. Um, I I drank and there were definitely some hefty big old stouts in there and then a lot of sours and lambics, uh, but uh, um, I, I drank one of the barrel aged stouts, the midnight still at midnight on my birthday, and then I went to bed and then I started drinking about twelve thirty um, in the afternoon uh, the next day and just got through all those. Amanda got home from work, helped me with help split. About four, about four or five of the bottles with me of the big bottles, and then I powered through um, uh, a, a barley wine and a, and a stout to end the night. Um, it, I was actually didn't feel that bad the next morning. Like it wasn't. I was drinking water the whole time. I ate plenty of food. Like I was That's pretty I was, good. I was not feeling like it. I, and and I was doing it slowly enough. I think that I was not getting too drunk now at the end is when i like just took a dive because uh before a lot of the day i'm drinking like lambics and and sours that are like five or six seven percent and then i get to the end of the day and it's barley wine at you know 13 percent barley wine at 11 percent imperial stout or barrel aged stout at 15 percent so it's just like by that time like okay i'm feeling it now i'm feeling it by the second (laughs) barley wine i was just like okay but when we called to sing happy birthday to you, I think you were pretty drunk. Yeah, I don't know. No, that was early. <laughs> that was like at, what, 8 o'clock? Oh, maybe. Yeah, I think it was about 8 o'clock. We, ate a late, we were eating a late dinner. And I was like, oh, we should FaceTime Craig and sing him happy birthday. So you got a very poor rendition of happy birthday from your tone deaf podcast partner and, and his children. So. Uh, I had to I had to get the last beer in because it was time waits for no one, which is a very good birthday beer. Time. Yeah, so that um, fits thematically. Power through that one, but uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, this is podcast versus everyone. Uh, just after Craig's birthday edition, I'm Craig Powers, and with me is Jeff Newser. How are you doing, Jeff? Sore. I was telling you, I'm getting back into running, taking my taking my 13 year old out running for the first time, which is which is awesome. And also, uh, I'm really out of shape. So I was, you know, a long time, long time. Listeners of the podcast know that you and I ran the uh, the Sound and Arrows last year. I ran the 5K. You ran the is it a 10K or 12K? It's a 10K, 12, right? 12K. 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 Okay. So you ran the 12K. I ran the 5K. And I was, you know, working myself back into shape, had a goal I wanted to, to do, uh, to go and then do a 10 or a 12 K. And then, uh, like about two weeks after that, I went out for a run and I was about four minutes into my run and my, uh, my, uh, groin strained. And I, I've never had a groin strain before. And I had no idea what that felt like. All I knew was I was just like, if I lifted my leg a certain way, uh, I, I felt like I was going to pass out. And so like found out it was, it was like, like a groin thing. Well, like those things don't heal fast. And then of course I, you know, so I didn't run for however long and got out of shape and then, you know, life gets in the way and the weather gets bad and all the other excuses. And so let myself get very out of shape. So now I'm running myself back into shape, but I'm, I'm pretty sore. And we're also, uh, being on quarantine during spring break right now means, uh, 
entertaining yourself at home. So we have decided to undertake a bunch of landscaping projects that we've been neglecting for like three years. And, uh, and so we, we took care of an overgrown flower bed today and, and I'm a little, uh, a little tight from swinging a pickaxe for a couple hours. So. Yeah. Amanda now has two weeks off and so she's got some landscaping uh, Mm. ideas, but she does, she's worried about, is it appropriate to, to go to Home Depot and Lowe's and, mm. um, which is a fair question, but, um, yeah, I would go early. Yeah. We were going to, uh, yeah, be out of town, but that's not happening now. Um, yeah. bummer. Uh, we had a, a Verbo and a VRBO in Anaheim and Ooh. the best, you know, since it's like independent people, the best they can do is a 50% refund or a hundred percent credit to stay at that exact place within the next year. So oh. um, we might have to eat uh, a little money there because um, it's kind of hard to know you're going to go to that specific spot in Anaheim sure. within a year. Um, it was just kind of working out off of a work trip for Amanda, but whatever, man, um, at least we've been able to cancel all the flights for free. Well, not really. You get a credit, so but you have more than a year to use that money. So whatever. Um yeah, it's been wild. Uh, um, at least uh, I, I'm trying to get. I, I have time off, but I'm just trying to, you know, cancel it because <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to take my uh, vacation days for sitting around the house when um, I work from home anyway. So it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can, if you can move that, I suggest that. I don't yeah. really get a choice. They kind of tell me when my time off is. You know. Yeah. They were like, "This is spring break. You should feel free to not work during this break." And I went, "Cool." Not working. So easy, easy peasy. Yep. All right. Uh, well, uh, we luckily have some news to talk about this. Holy week. crap. Some good news. Uh, we need like one of those like uh, breaking news, like. Breaking news. Yep. We're, we're that, who needs sound effects, guys? <laughs> who we need that dude from Police Academy? You remember that that guy? I mean, I know we who need you're that guy. About. Yeah, I don't know his name. He did all the sound effects with his mouth. Very impressive. Made a short-lived career on it. Yes, he did. He made more money than you and I'll ever make. Yeah, I was I'm looking sure. at uh, um, Police Academy, like. They were like the first couple were like the biggest movies in the world. Like when they came out, like you think about how weird that is. <laughs> like fucking like just weird ass like goofy cop movie, and it was like the number one grossing movie in the world. Like absolutely, <laughs> times it have should changed. Be. Times have certainly changed. The stupider the movie, the better. Yeah, that's what I always say. <laughs> definitely a sucker for stupid movies but four-star basketball recruits are not stupid no and very rare for washington extremely state extremely rare um yeah so uh got the news on this weekend um i believe it was saturday uh day before my birthday early birthday present from kyle smith and co um Deshaun jackson um, from St. Patrick, St. Vincent in California, uh, committed and uh, for the 2020 class, so this year's class, not next year's, um, 6'10", 235, um, and top 200 national recruit, uh, even higher in some services, uh, uh, 247 rates him a four-star recruit. Um, he's a fringe four-star, like very fringe, like he's just a hair under a four-star, um, aggregate. Uh, but yeah, it's super crazy. Um, to, you know, I, I wasn't expecting like this great of a, a recruiting piece like now. Um, and it was a very, very pleasant surprise. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, this kid looks very legit. Yeah, this is uh, this was wild. <laughs> like when I saw this come across, um, you know, we don't we don't get kids like this like ever, uh, especially big men. Like, yep. and he's not, 
you know, he's he's not really your, your prototypical big man. You know, he needs to grow into his body a little bit. He's uh, listed, I think, at about like 235, 240, something like that at 6'10". Um, but a huge wingspan, uh, you know, really just, you know, you can you can see the skill, you know, right away. Uh, you can see the athleticism right away. Um, definitely not a not a finished product, which you know would be with that frame would be why he's um, you know maybe not rated even maybe a little higher than he is. But um, you know one of the things that you know you and I always talk about it, it, just as a round number reference point is uh, when you're talking about recruiting, top 100 recruits are the guys who really are the the program changers, the difference makers, um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about football, um, they want to, you know, what's your blue chip ratio, right? It's, you know, how many, how many four and five star kids are on your roster and you can usually figure out who's got a shot at, you know, a serious chance at the, at the national championship based on that basketball is, has, is sort of like how many top 100 kids do you have? Um, and Jackson is not a top 100 kid. We don't land top 100 kids. <laughs> I think the only top 100 kid I think we've ever really landed is Clay Thompson. Um, but he is like a top 150 kid or a top 200 kid. Um, you know, you get enough of those guys and you develop them and you're in really, really, really good shape. Um, so it's, yeah, this is a in, incredibly encouraging um commitment for Kyle Smith and, and his staff. Um, you know, this is a kid who, you know, really should be a difference maker immediately defensively. Looks like he's already kind of got some of that shot blocking, uh, timing down prowess down. Um, and, and, you know, you're looking at, you know, in lieu of, a um, in lieu of a grad transfer or something like that, you know, you're looking at a real, real young front court with, uh, Mark Ovetsky and, and Tony Miller and, and probably this kid too. So, um, going to be, uh, going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out, but, but he's going to get a chance probably to, to show some things right away. Yeah. It's really encouraging not only to get, not only to get, uh, a, 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 such a, a highly rated recruit, especially for WSU, but, um, two, four, seven has him listed as the ninth best, um, recruit in you know, in WSU history, uh, you know, yeah. which goes back obviously not the entire history of WSU. But uh, it, since recruiting services were keeping track, and then only, only uh, the only other guy in that top nine that is six ten was Brock Modem. Um, so it was uh, Brock might have been six nine actually. I don't, um, but uh, yeah, so it's just crazy to get a big man. Um, it's awesome to get you know uh, a highly regarded high, you know uh, player like that in a position of need. Um, Big men are traditionally uh, at WSU a place of you know experimental like guys and and kind of waiting on juniors you know third year juniors or second year junior or you know third year fourth year juniors even sometimes like um, and just hoping they develop but like you said this seems like a a kid that will have at least some um, marketable skills right away um and and that's huge it's uh, something that we needed uh, losing pollard needing um another front guard i mean losing Dion james losing like they, they, they're definitely the the yeah the recruit the the the, the front court was going to be um thin uh before he committed um obviously we have a, a another um a big man coming in as well yeah um, who i neglected to mention yeah um Effa Abagodi, Abagidi, Abagidi, um, Abagidi uh, from Australia. So we'll figure it out eventually. So yeah, um, uh, he's not really rated, but uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, we got big guys coming in. Um, you have, uh, you know, a couple uh, large, like bigger guards, bigger athletic guards coming in. Um, it's just, it's this sign. And then you, you look at even just last year in the recruiting class that, uh, Kyle Smith put together, um, really threw together. Um, when you, when you see, uh, you know, a guy like Noah Williams, uh, coming in and then a guy like Mark Ovetsky and guy like Ryan Rapp, um, you see, uh, a team that's trending towards bigger and longer and, uh, even more athletic in some places. And that's really encouraging. 
Yeah. Are are you saying they weren't long and athletic under Ernie Kent? I was setting you up for that so you can <laughs> knock it down. <laughs> That's like a belt high fastball. Long long guys like uh, Ahmed Ali. Like Ahmed Ali. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Gervais Robinson, he's, you know. All of six to, foot two, yeah. maybe. On his tiptoes, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it really is uh, sort of remarkable to see, you know, we, we referenced this uh, when we talked to John Andershek, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, just kind of the way that they um, really, you know, scour for for talent um, and, and the way that they are uh, creatively trying to fill needs. And, you know, you just look at this class and it's, uh, you've got, you know, a guy from, uh, I, I think Abajidi's originally from Nigeria, is that, if I remember right. Um, and, but he's currently in Australia, TJ Bamba coming from Denver, uh, Deshaun Jackson coming from Vallejo, California, and then Jefferson Koulibaly coming from, uh, Montreal. And it's like, and then last year, you know, you look at last year's class and, and you're talking about, you know, Ukraine with Mark Ovetsky and Australia with rap and, uh, Seattle with Noah Williams and, you know, uh, Southern California for DJ Robinson. Isaac Bonton is a, a Northwest kid who was at Casper College. Deion James, grad transfer. Jalen Shedd, grad transfer. I mean, they just, it's it's incredible the way that they do that. And it's um, it's it's something that, that, you know, I said, you know, for a while was, was necessary for the program that, uh, you know, when they were going to replace Ken Bone, you know, I, I advocated for a coach that, you know, really knew how to maybe uh, scour unusual places for talent because that's that's really what Tony Bennett did. You know, for for as much as people think, a lot of our casual fans think that Tony Bennett just sort of cobbled together, you know, five dudes off the street and turned them into winners with a pack line defense. Um, you know, it just wasn't the case. Uh, he he just you know had a knack for identifying talent and finding it in all sorts of odd places. Obviously, the famous story of you know Kyle Weaver and Wisconsin and uh, you know how that all came to be. But you know that's really what you have to do to be successful at Washington State. And um, you know we are going to have uh, more size in our front court than we've had probably since Tony Bennett left. Probably since it was, you know, Aaron Baines and uh, I mean, I don't know who Cowgill and Cowgill and, you know, Casto for for a minute. And, you know, uh, you know, just man, it's I guess maybe you could say with like Rayleigh and, and DJ Shelton, maybe that yeah. was pretty athletic front court. Um, but I, I think there's a potential here to have maybe even some depth that, that we haven't had for a while, provided uh, Abajidi's healthy. That's that's kind of the, the rumor on him and why we don't see a lot of uh, video on him is because he's he's kind of battled injuries. So, you know, who knows what happens when he uh, when he arrives. But but I like I like the position. I like the position we're in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and something that I, I, I've I've heard a lot of uh, kind of wonder about is wh where these spots are coming from. Because it's not only this, even you kind of thought they were full up and then uh, Deshaun Jackson commits and you're like, okay, now, yep. they, now they need a spot. And then somebody's you, leaving. <laughs> and then you see them on, you know, reportedly on like the top five of like a whole bunch of grad transfers. So it's, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, you're wondering, yeah, someone's got to be leaving. Yeah. Um, at least one, probably at two. Least, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, the two, two most likely candidates to me seem to be, uh, Duran Henson and, and Marvin Cannon. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Um, Duran Henson obviously just, uh, didn't find a real fit this year. Um, you know, he got very, very, like very, like, spread like he wasn't consistent minutes at all basically came in when the offense was atrocious and they were just hoping he hit a couple threes basically and, and or they was, were so injured they they really didn't yeah. have a choice <laughs> yeah and to him. yeah and so but even at that time even at those times they would 
you know, if he wasn't hitting a three, he was out of the game. Uh, yeah. He wasn't getting stre- stretched minutes. Yeah. Um, so you got to wonder with bringing in all these other, uh, you know, sm- small forward-ish kind of combo guard type guys and um, what they already have on the roster. Yeah, if he would find a place. And then, yeah, Marvin Cannon just, yeah, he just um, obviously tried to leave last year and we thought he was gone like for sure gone it seems like he just um you know kind of wanted to go, go back home and 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 maybe it was just too much of a change um but then he didn't uh i know we were pretty excited that he came back because of his uh, athletic you know basically his athletic ability his defensive um capabilities um but he just never really uh i mean obviously he had some injuries but even before that he 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 didn't he didn't wasn't really working himself. He never really worked himself into a, a you know a, a serious role with the team. He, you know he was he did have some games. Um, obviously, when he came back and then others got injured, he he, he um, did pile up some minutes. But again, it wasn't very consistent. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you know. But it's still it's so late in the game right now. But um, but I guess it's not. It just feels like it because. Uh, the national championship would have been yesterday as when we're recording this. So it's really not that late. Yeah. I Cannon was such a bummer. Cause I, I thought he could be a pretty nice player, particularly defensively thought thought he could have some real impact on the defensive end. But um, you know, you saw really his limitations as an offensive player and it, it made him really tough to play. Uh, yeah. Cause he just, um, you know, and this is not, I'm not trying to bag on the kid. Uh, he has a skill set that works in a, a specific kind of way. I mean, we saw it pop up, you know, in his sophomore year playing for Ernie Kent, uh, here and there, you know, he has this ability to, to slash from time to time, uh, and find gaps and attack the rim and, and, and in that way. But, um, you know, playing in, in whatever, whatever you would consider Smith's system at the moment, it seemed to be a pretty, uh, free flowing system this year with with not a lot of uh you know dogmatic principles that they were that they were stuck on but um you know smith talks a lot about recruiting what he calls six tool guys you know guys who can you know pass dribble shoot you know da 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 and it's like yeah of course you want guys to to do all of that but when you see it within the way it works within there, when you have a guy who's not a real good dribbler or not a real good passer or not a real good shooter or more than one of those things all at the same time, it just makes it very difficult. And cannons cannons kind of like that, man. He's not, he can't create with the dribble. Um, he's not a very skilled passer uh, and he's not a great shooter. So, uh, you know, you, <laughs> you kind of have a problem there when, when a guy can't really do really all he could do is sort of catch and, and go to the rim and, you know, it just didn't really fit that well. So he's got a red shirt left. Henson's got a red shirt left. Um, I, I would not be shocked at all if both of those guys end up going and, and find another home where they can maybe be a little more productive, uh, especially Henson. You know, you can see that he would be a really, really, really useful piece for somebody. Um, yeah. Just doesn't fit on this team. Uh, doesn't fit in the program, at least just, you know, skills wise, uh, you know, kind of not a real skilled defender either. Um, and, and that was sort of his main liability. You'd watch him and, you know, he just would be slow on, on rotations or communication. And, um, you know, if he's not, that's why you mentioned, you know, if he's not draining threes, he was out of there because otherwise he's definitely going to be the only way he's going to be a net positive, you know, as if he's hitting a bunch of threes. So, um, but he'll be useful for someone and, and he'll, you know, if he's not asked to do too much defensively, um, just allowed to, to shoot, which is what he would have done, you know, had Ernie Kemp been here. I mean, he, I, he's a guy who I would not have been shocked if he had averaged, you know, north of 15 points a game yeah. had Ernie Kent stuck around. But, yeah. you know, uh, it's just kind of a it's a different situation with a different coach. So those two guys seem like uh, ready candidates. Um I don't know. Do you want to talk about Ellaby now or do you want to have a break and then, and then maybe revisit that on the other side? Yeah, I think, uh, this is a, a nice time for, to take the break and then we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Ellaby and his draft stock on the other side. And we're back. All right. Well, 
you know, we're, we're talking about Henson leaving and potentially leaving or Cannon leaving as candidates. But, um, you know, there's there's some belief among Kook fans that Ellaby might be the one because he might want to try his shot at the NBA again. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd be really surprised by that. Um, he is currently not on uh, either of the two top 100 draft prospect lists that I, I sort of pay the most attention to. Um, one is Sam Vecini at the, at the athletic and the other one is uh, Jonathan Gavoni at, at ESPN. And um, those two guys are kind of most recognized as the most pl- recognized as the most plugged in guys uh, in the NBA draft circles. Um, the NBA draft doesn't quite have the, for those people that don't follow uh, the NBA draft process, it does not have quite the uh, depth of draft experts that you would think of for like the NFL draft, where right. there's uh, literally like like 400 <laughs> self-proclaimed NFL draft Twitter experts. Um, they've all got NFL draft in their Twitter handle and, and whatever. Um, NBA is not really like that. There's there's really just a handful of guys, and, and those are two of them. Um, Ellaby's not in their top 100, which which tells me that, you know, had the draft process gone on as normal, uh, Ellaby would probably be relying on workouts. He probably would have declared again, probably would go do all the personal workouts just like he did last year um, and maybe hope that a team would commit to him. Yeah, look, we will we will draft you in the second round, for example, um, if uh, if you're still there. Uh, That's probably what he would have been looking for. And now he doesn't have a chance to earn that from from a team. So uh, you kind of put the the current circumstances with uh, his performance this year, and uh, I don't know. I just I don't see him going unless he just really wants to get out of school that badly, and that's the case for some kids. But he he does not seem like that. Yeah, and <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think a lot of um, uh, some of the. Uh, some some of the belief that he might be uh you know i've heard people say a fringe uh first round guy or, or you know or a, a a solid draft pick um you, the two the two sources you referenced are both pay sites um to, to see the espn one i believe you have to have espn plus um or insight or whatever they call it now and then um and uh and obviously for san Vicente at, at uh at um, the athletic, you have to subscribe to the athletic to see that. Um, when you search for X player and draft, uh, the number one site that comes up is nbadraft.net. And I can tell you they have not updated their projections like the entire year. Um, LB was. Big board 28, 2020 mock 38 in the fall. And he is still listed at that. Um, so I'm wondering how much they, how often they update their site. Um, so, but I do think because they're the number one thing you see when you Google X player and draft, uh, that might be building some of this belief that CJ is a guy that is, uh, you know, very likely to be drafted. Yeah, they've got so I just I'm looking at them right now. They did update their mock draft on March 25th, apparently. So uh, and they're still apparently comfortable with CJ at number 38 to New York. But yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that seems uh, I mean, they've got Sadiq Bay at number 41 and he's definitely trending toward like the late to middle of the first round. So take. Take all that for for whatever it's worth. Well, and they have Malachi Flynn um, being drafted, and as good as he was this year, um, he's still a, a six two guard, um, right? Uh, and it, it, you know, I I don't know. Like he obviously would want to explore, but uh, it's this is not really a year for exploring, like you said. Like uh, for those guys that need workouts, this is not that year. Um, because you're not going to get them. Uh, and we, and I, I, I know I believe this. I know you believe this. Uh, CJ definitely can benefit from coming back. You know, some guys, it, it is what it, like when we talked about when uh, Booby Williams left for football, uh, we, was, we didn't know how much 
uh, obviously it didn't turn out very well, um, in like, cause he, he, he initially got a really good undrafted contract, but that didn't work out. But, um, but we didn't really know how much more he could benefit, uh, by staying another year, particularly being a running back. But Ellaby, um, we, we, we've seen, he has some, uh, limitations that might, uh, kind of hurt him in the eyes of draft scouts, uh, particularly his, his ability to finish drives, get to the rim. Um, uh, and, uh, but you know, a lot of create off the dribble, create off the dribble. Uh, so it, that's, that's a big thing when you're like a six, six wing, obviously. Um, unless you're a knockdown three point shooter, which, uh, CJ can be. Um, but he's definitely, you know, not at the level of, you know, the last guy we had get, get drafted clay Thompson, but I know you've been thinking, you see a lot of similarities in the two, and so maybe not the jump that Clay did, but how could you see Ellaby potentially jump from, you know, have, have the jump his junior year and potentially propel him into a, a draft pick that, that Clay had? Yeah, I mean, that's – Clay, uh, I don't know how many people really remember this, but I know, <laughs> I know you and I definitely do. Uh, Clay didn't have a great sophomore season. Um you know, he was uh, unquestionably the team's go-to scorer. Uh, he made all Pac-10 first team. And that's sort of the source of, of you and I joking because I remember writing a story that year saying, I, you know, like, that's silly that he was first team. He wasn't. <laughs> he just wasn't that good. Um, and he was wildly inconsistent. That that was kind of the big thing. You know, he'd uh, he, he'd have games where, where he'd be very, very good. He'd also have games where he was very, very bad. Um, and then his, you know, his Pac-10 season was was pretty, uh, uh, pretty forgettable. But, you know, one thing I've, I've, I've sort of learned from talking to talking to coaches, following coaches, um, uh, seeing how coaches vote on, you know, all league teams, things like that they put a lot of stock in who's who's the guy that they have to game plan to stop. And, you know, I, I think, you know, when a guy transitions from uh, not being that primary scorer to all of a sudden being that primary scorer, it can be a really rough transition. And, you know, for Ellaby to go from, uh, you know, as a freshman, you know, he was you know, one of the primary scorers on the team, but definitely behind Robert Franks in terms of usage and, and being a go-to guy to then come in his sophomore year. And, and he's, he's the guy he's, he's the guy that people want to stop. Um, and when they do that, they're going to make life as difficult for you in as many different ways as possible. Um, it can be a little rocky at times and CJ definitely had his moments where he was incredible. Um, definitely had moments where he was very bad. And, uh, what you want is you want to get to a point where you smooth over the, the really bad nights and, um, you know, have more of the good nights or at the very least the bad nights aren't as bad. Um, you know, you have the nights where you still go off, but the, the nights that are bad, you know, you're not going, you know, three for 18 for 16 points, you know, you're going, uh, you know, six for 18 for 18 points. And it's not a tremendously efficient night, but it's, you know, it's, it's not the sort of thing that's going to, going to tank your team. Um, if he can do that, you know, maybe he can, you know, rise up some boards. Maybe he can turn himself into a guy who, um, you know, projects a little bit higher, higher than we thought. And, and to be honest, you know, Clay as, as a junior is as great as he was with the huge jump he made as a junior. I know you and I never thought he was like a, like a lottery pick. We, we kind of went right. really like somebody likes him that much. I mean, we think he's really good, but you know, eh, is he, is he a good enough defender? Is he athletic enough? And of course, you know, I, I look like an idiot obviously for that, but, um, yeah, I think you know, the athleticism was what we were. Yeah. God, how stupid were we? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's CJ. It, it all just kind of depends. Like doing what he does right now, um, playing above average defense, being an above average shooter. There's definitely a place for guys like that in the NBA. No doubt. 
the question is, you know, do guys like that get drafted? And the answer is usually no. Um, those are the guys who usually have to fight their way onto a roster. They've got to find a good spot with a team. Um, you know, they, they've got to kind of make something happen. Uh, you know, does he want to go that route? Obviously, that's that's sort of his, uh, you know, his his calculus that he's that he's got away. Uh, if he wants to play himself into a position where he wants to get drafted for sure, then yeah, he he needs to come back next year and and get a little bit better at those those um, those things you mentioned. Yeah, and what we saw uh, Clay do from his sophomore to junior year, he became a guy you could have as the primary ball handler. He was not a good yep. ball handler his sophomore year. He was not. I mean, when he was relied upon to do that, it was, you know, sketchy. Um, we, we saw him be able to find more shots and, and you like, uh, create more shots and yep. make tougher shots. That was you know? the big thing. Um, cause he shot almost 40% from three, his, uh, junior year. And he took a lot of really difficult threes. Uh, and he, he got in the paint more, I mean, he his free throw rate was roughly the same, but uh, he hit, but he you know he hit free throws better. He was a better defender, um, you know. He he, uh, and then he also distributed for his teammates more. So he became just a, a complete go to guy, like to to the point you know where he was just ev- almost everything about in the offense was about him. Like he was he's a guy that dominated the ball. Um, set up his teammates when he wasn't scoring ability to get shots. Like he was, he was just that guy and CJ uh, definitely, you know, there's those, the same things like CJ can get a lot of shots, but he takes, you know, a lot of like fade away 17 footers and stuff like that, which yep. is pretty much the worst shot you can yeah. take. Right. A lot of and low so, percentage shots, a lot of low percentage shots. And so, um, yeah, so it, it, we we know he can hit from deep. Um, we know he's got NBA range three. Uh, we I know he's got NBA athleticism, um, and uh, he's you know just a a skilled rebounder, uh, a very skilled defender, um, incredibly a smart defender, and a, not only a, a team defender. Um, that's why he's so good at you know jumping passing lanes and things like that. Um, so he's, CJ has a lot of good skills. He's just, um, you would there, you know, typically the, the biggest jump for a guy is, uh, is uh freshman to sophomore year. And you could even argue that for clay, like he added a lot, um, his while taking on a lot more his sophomore year, but you can still refine your game. Um, and add things. We, I mean, we we saw a guy like Clay add things to his game for years in the NBA. Still, you know, because um, we we see him do things now that we're just like, there's no freaking way he could have done that WSU. But um, so CJ's got to be like that. You know, he's got to he, to 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 be able to rise up into the draft board. He, he's he's got to be able to have that sort of drive. And he seems like a kid that has that sort of drive. Um, to work on to work on his game and and add those things, especially when you're in with him, where you do like you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel for the NBA, but um, you know you have to work to get there, and hopefully that kind of drives him to um, add to his game. And and I, I yeah I my 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 general feeling is that he will stick around um, for at least another year and and hopefully add to his game because then. Cooks would be pretty damn good next year if he does. Yeah. I I have a lot of confidence that he is that kind of guy. Um, he reminds me a lot of Clay in so many ways. And and honestly, that's one of them. I think he has that desire to be great. I think he has that desire to to work on his game. So um I yeah. I'm I'm really excited to see what he can do, presuming he sticks around. Um I, I don't know. He just doesn't seem to me to he he seems to me to be a smart kid. Um, seems to me to be someone who knows what he wants, but is patient enough to make sure he's in position to go get it. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like he's, he's in a family situation where, you know, he feels like he needs to go pro. Um, it just seems like he, he can afford to wait until, until the time is right. And, um, you know, if he sticks around for a couple more years, I mean, he'll be, gosh, I don't know. He'll probably be pushing 3000 points, you know, something ridiculous like that. He'll obliterate 
uh, Isaac Fontaine's record. So, yeah. Yeah, he yeah he he would not. Well, I mean, Clay would have too if he stuck around. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Clay Clay would have destroyed that. Yeah, but yeah, but Ellaby. Yeah. Well, Ellaby has the advantage of playing. So he he was the number two guy the moment he showed up, and then played on. Uh, he's played on high paced teams, which Clay, right. of course, did not have the, did not really have the benefit of. Uh, Really, I don't think at any point in his career. Maybe the maybe the yeah, not really. They were pretty slow, I think. I think his senior year they got faster, just because they were they were better. I think that, and uh, they, yeah, his senior year. I mean, his junior Junior year. year, Sorry, his junior year they got they were fast, but yeah, obviously very very slow his freshman year, and then kind of in the middle his sophomore year. But even in his senior or God, now you got me saying it. Even in his junior year, uh, still only sixty seven possessions a game which would be pretty darn slow right now yeah, because of yeah. the way the shot clock is. Right. So, um, so LB also has, has that benefit. And uh, yeah, I don't know how many points do you have right now? I don't know. I'm going to, this make going to make great radio. I'm going to look this up right now, but yeah. uh, I don't know. Talk about, talk about something else with LB while I'm looking this up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, selfishly as a Coug fan, I hope he sticks around. Yeah. I, I think they, they have a nice little nucleus um, could really improve and, you know, be an NIT uh, and who knows get next year, depending on what, what the freshmen provide and, and how much better guys like rap and, and, and Rodman and, 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 and Noah get. Um, Cause we could see big jumps from those guys. And suddenly you have, you know, you know, I, I fully expect them to be a, a, a better team than they were this year. A lot of it comes down to to uh, the coaching staff being able to, you know, have installed the defense and, and have a more, a better idea of what they can do on offense. Um, I, hopefully, you know, at the same time that the coaching staff can put CJ in better, um, just find better positions for him. Um, we've, we've kind of seen, uh, we saw more towards the end of the year. Um, he doing, he did a lot of some high posts um, when he, they do some screen and screen and rolls. And when the team would switch, they would get him in the high post. So, um, hopefully uh, they can continue to add to that and get CJ in favorable, favorable positions. Um, and then, you know, if you get better efficiency for him, better efficiency from Bonton and, and uh, your top two guys there. And then maybe next year with the improvement of some of the, uh, the younger guards, uh, Bonton doesn't have to take such the load that he did this year um, in terms of possession usage. And so, uh, I'm, you know, if CJ does come back, um, which I, I do think he will. Um, and, and, and I'm more confident of that because of the current situation with, uh, not being able to work out for teams and stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I have, I, I feel good about, uh, what, what this team can, you know, do next year in terms of improvement. Obviously they still have a, a ways to go to, improve to a um to a tournament team but um they they'll still have a very good nucleus uh to build on there so he has 1060 points after two seasons clay thompson had 1023 points yeah, after two he, seasons he would have had probably at least two if you're talking about they would have at least played one more game in the pack 12 tournament and they would have played at least one more game in the C- yep. CBI. So he would have been at least over 1100. Yeah. You would uh, think. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So he's, you figure, you know, he has a big jump next year. Clay scored 733 points as a junior. Now that might be, that, that's uh, a lot. that might be a little, that might be a little much to ask for, but, um, but yeah, I mean, if LB stuck around for two more years, it's not, not crazy to think he'd be at or above, you know, 2,500 points. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And the the record is I don't know two thousand and something. Yeah, it's just over two thousand. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I was there when he went over two thousand. So, yay me. Good job. Mm-hmm. Nicest guy I have ever worked with as a reporter. That's no, no lie, no lie. Super guy. Awesome. I hope. Yeah, I it was cool. He came podcast. when um. <laughs> When Bobby Buckets uh, broke his record, he yeah. was actually um, he was around, and so that's pretty cool, um, you know, yep. to come back when um, uh, you know someone breaks your record, and, and even you know it's on the women's team, and you come back and, and 
uh, to acknowledge her. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Yep. Yeah. He's a, he is a super duper dude and, uh, glad he was ours. Nice guy. Right. So yeah. What, what else do we have to talk about? What? Uh, I don't know, man. Scraping the bottom of the barrel here. <laughs> we definitely are. Um, was there something else we said we were going to talk about? Like I can't even remember now. Yeah, I feel like you had something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, beer. But, I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. What Talk are you drinking? Beer. I'm having a uh, Urban Family Brewer Zeke and Destroy, which is their uh, yes. uh, Imperial IPA. It's uh, it's superb. So I'm uh, I'm working my way through a crowler of that bad boy. Do you know what the name references? I don't actually. Do you? I I, you, I assume you do since you asked me that. Have you heard of Zeke's Pizza? I have. Yeah, it's it's made for Zeke's Pizza. Well, there we go. There, we, I've never actually had Zeke's Pizza. Have you? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Do they have them down here, or are they just in Seattle? They have one in Tacoma. Okay. Yeah, I've never, I've never had, never had Zeke's Pizza. So. Yeah. It's yeah. Fun. Yeah, I don't know that I've I don't know that I've ever had an urban family brewing beer before. That's surprising. I'm not sure. Prevalent. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking. I'm looking through my untapped. I don't. I don't know. Maybe not. Might not be. Well, they've been around for a while. They're um, probably one of the. I mean, I'd say definitely one of the better breweries in in Seattle. Um, it's particularly uh, what they've been able to do in the last few years they just opened up a, a brand new location in ballard um moved over well they originally opened in ballard then they were over in magnolia for a bit and then they reopened a new spot in ballard um of course with terrible timing as as one would do but uh they're uh yeah they did just they do a lot of farmhouse styles uh saisons sours and stuff like that um and then they do a lot of pretty good hazy IPAs and uh, they've, they've, they've definitely done well. They've gotten a lot of notoriety for that. Yeah. Pretty solid brewery all around. Um, definitely one to uh, check out in the future. If you, well, if you like what you're having now, I, I do. And I'm thinking it must just be like some weird happenstance that I've never, I've never had anything. Yeah. Um, I I'll admit, I, I don't like probably drink them as much as I could, but um Maybe there's just they're always like number two choice for me when I'm having a beer. Um, I, I I in the past they they had some pretty um, acidic sours like heartburn inducing sours. So I I I, I, yeah. I backed off from them. But I will say uh, uh, people told me and and some of them I have more recently have been a lot more uh, balanced and dialed in. So probably something um, worth revisiting that you can go to a bottle shop uh, or whatever and, and uh, typically find a, a handful of their, uh, their sours these days. Yeah. What are you having? I am having, uh, it's from Westbrook Brewing Company, which is a brewery out of South Carolina. Uh, this is uh, their Fruitwood Time Series Black Raspberry. Mm. It is a, blend of a dry blend of 33 percent dry sherry cask matured mixed fermentation saison and 67 percent oak fooder aged sour beer it was blended and re-fermented with black raspberries for three months in second use 500 liter marsala punchins so this has a lot of uh, a lot of things going on there um it's very good um this is a bottle that was bottled in march of 2018 um, definitely sell a lot of good fruit on there. Um, it, it isn't super tart, uh, or like, you know, super acidic sour. Um, I think part of that is because they, they blended in Saison, something that, uh, that's something that, um, Floodland, one of my favorite breweries does, and they, they're able to achieve, uh, these sort of balanced, uh, wild ales. Um, and so this isn't like, I, I, I drank the uh, the 500 milliliter bottle, uh, or I guess it's a, I don't know, it's a 375. It just isn't no, oh no, it's 500 milliliter. Um, it, it's weird because they put one pint there. I don't usually see that. Um, uh, 500 milliliter bottle, um, 
fairly easily much more easy like much easier than you would expect than i would have expected i thought it was going to be much tarter but i i really enjoyed it very balanced and uh good fruit it was quite still pretty juicy for how old it is and um black raspberry beers are usually really good um sounds delicious delivered on that uh so good job Uh, westbrook's pretty interesting uh brewery um obviously they're uh they're in charleston south carolina they're um They've been around for a while. They've been highly regarded for a while, making some really good beers. Uh, uh, they were pretty. They they got pretty popular. Their uh, Goza beer, so they they hit that in like the early two thousand tens. And um, they actually do a lot of contract brewing. So um, a lot of bottles that you've seen from uh, uh, before they started canning more, but when they were doing the twenty two ounce bottles from Evil Twin um like even more jesus and, and beers like that uh those were actually brewed and and, and bottled at, at westbrook um and same for uh stillwater artisanal ales uh they um they uh also were doing a lot of contract brewing at westbrook or or um not necessarily contract it could be um uh sort of this gypsy brewing or or because uh, uh, um contract brewing is basically you just give them a recipe and they make it for you. Um, but sometimes these brewers would be there and stuff. So, um, but yes, yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty interesting brew. They obviously have big capacity. Um, they've also had some of the most highly sought after barrel aged stouts, um, from their, uh, Mexican, uh, Mexican cake series. Uh, they, they're, they really like, you see them everywhere now, these kind of Mexican chocolate stouts with, uh, um, you know, peppers and coffee and, 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 uh, uh, cinnamon, stuff like that. Um, and chocolate obviously. And, but they, uh, they, but when they did it, there wasn't a lot of those, um, but their Mexican cake, uh, just the base beer, non-barrel age is very popular, very good. And then they have a ton of, ton of barrel age variants. I haven't had many of them. Um, but they were, they kind of were one of the first breweries to figure out how to reap some of the secondary value of their beers because they would um, keep uh, some of these barrel-aged Mexican cake beers that were going for, you know, hundreds of dollars, even up to like a thousand dollars. You know, one of the the more sought after ones was the Jack Daniels barrel-aged one. Um, It's supposed to be one of like the best barrel-aged stouts ever. I I haven't had it, um, but I've had friends that um, say it's amazing, but it's pretty old at this point. But um, I think it was 2013 when it came out. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, so they, if you went and visited there, if you go visit there, um, you'll see prices on their bottle list for like, you know, like $600 for a bottle of beer, just cause like, that's what people were charging in the secondary market to try to get the beer, um, or, you know, roughly equivalent to the beers you're trading. Yeah. And so they were just like, screw you, we're going to, we're going to do it. And some other breweries have done it and. Um, sometimes people get pissed off and whatever, but whatever, if you're a brewery and it might be frustrating watching you sell a bottle of beer for 20 bucks and then turns around, suddenly someone else is selling it for a thousand bucks and you're not making any money from that. Well, and I can't Um, imagine margins in breweries are all that great. No, they are not. So, you know, if you can squeeze a few extra, you know, shekels out of the, that without leaving it on the table, then, you know, more power to you. Yeah. So yeah, Westbrook, pretty interesting, good brewery. Um, uh, so yeah, you've probably, if you've ever had a 22 ounce bomber from Evil Twin, you've had beer brewed at their facility before. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's beer. Um, oh, uh, we, we talk a little bit about football. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I feel bad. Uh, I get these uh, pretty much daily emails uh, about you know, odds and stuff from various, uh, just because we're, you know, right for our blog, we get these, uh, emails for, um, from these sort gambling services, basically. Uh, um, and, uh, they haven't had much to talk about lately. It's been a lot of like, uh, like the esports stuff and like the, the 2k stuff and which got stuff was leaked. And so it ruined the betting. And, but, uh, one thing that did was relevant that came out, um, today was the uh win totals uh for uh for uh college football teams 
and WSU was a, a tough one to bet on because it's right at six, no half. There. Yeah, jerks. Yeah. So you, you got to either have five or seven. Yeah, yeah, there's no, uh, yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's a tough one because that's a big range of what could happen. If they're at six and a half, then it's like, okay, that's one game could go your way, but um, you're pushing at six and no one likes that. Uh, so, um, yeah, six wins. Uh, what do you think about that? What do you think that says – is there something that says about the program that we we're we're still getting a six win uh, a total when we have a new coach, um, one of our most successful coaches in in, in program history left, losing a, a you know no idea who the quarterback's going to be, um, and new offense to install, and and still they put WSU at six, so that seems pretty good. Yeah, that does. Um... You know, I, I think I'd I think I'd look at it the same way you look at it, which is that actually seems like a vote of confidence, to be honest. Um, now, part of that also might and be not and not a not a vote of confidence from a general manager about his coach. Yeah, right. But like you know that the that the betting markets would look at Wazoo and go, yeah, probably a bowl team, or or the very least going to be in that conversation. Now, as we learned last year, is as long as you take care of business against a fairly weak non-conference schedule then you know you can go three and six in the conference and still um you know still still make a bowl game uh and you know you look at utah state houston idaho houston and idaho being at home uh you know obviously you like your chances against idaho uh probably like your chances against houston at home utah state you know who knows weird things happen in season openers on the road against Mountain West schools. So, um, you know, of course there's a chance they could come out of that two and one after those opening three games, but you know, you, you, you hope they go three and zero. and if they do go three and zero, then you go, okay, well, you know, then they only got to find three more wins. And, um, you know, I think that's a nod to what Mike Leach built and left behind. Um, uh, but I also think that's a little bit of a nod to what he built and left behind on the defensive side of the ball. So, um, that seems like a fair projection to me. I mean, I, if I was forced to put a bet down, I, I'm not sure which uh, I'm not sure which direction I'd go. Uh, if you made me put real actual dollars on it, yeah, that's tough. Um, because yeah, the, there's there's so many variables. Uh, obviously, uh, they don't have spring ball, and they're going to be playing a new offense. Um, not necessarily. I mean, it, you you say like yeah, the same personnel and everything, but there can you know there's a lot of you know different stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it's not in the air raid is just a especially the way Mike Leach run it is such a unique, but you know butterfly or whatever. <laughs> like it's, sure. It's a it's 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 a it's a rare beast, and so yeah, yeah to have like we have talked about how they can he can adapt the personnel, but actually installing the offense is, is going to um, be more difficult and and. So you got that variable. Um, yeah, like I said, the variable of the quarterback. And then, of course, you have, a like you mentioned, uh, uh, there's not a ton of hope that the defense will be markedly better. Um, so just to still an outsider, you know, basically saying, oh, six is – well, I mean, so obviously they're guessing what people will bet. But, um, but still just to uh, – that people would – believe that WSU is still a, a, a bowl team. Uh, we even talked about last year how I, I think they had like a seven win total. And it, we were like, that's crazy that, you know, we lost a starting quarterback. We lost all this and, and still WSU. So this is just kind of continuing that trend of like WSU has a little bit higher status uh, as a program than they did um, before Leach came, obviously. And um, that that's pretty cool. Hopefully that translates to, you know, some better recruiting and, and other things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, six is like, I'm just at this point with no spring ball and all that, I'm just like, yeah, please let's get to six. Like I, but I guess no one, there's a lot of other teams that don't have spring ball too, but they're not all installing a new offense. So yeah, the, the personnel fits, you know, we've been over that before, you know, the personnel fits with what Rolovich is gonna, gonna ask him to do, but the teaching aspect, um, you know, this this system requires maybe timing and synchronization on a level that even the air raid really didn't. 
um, because the receivers are, you know, just constantly presented with options. And depending on the defense, they can run, you know, their route this way or that way, uh, which means that the the quarterback and the receivers really, 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 really need to be on the same page as far as uh, which direction, you know, when a certain coverage presents itself, which direction is the receiver going to go? And does the, does the quarterback anticipate that? So with uh, between that and and quarterbacks who have never played a snap before, which I think we, you know, as fans, we rationalize and went, well, that's probably a good thing. And they don't have any habits that are, you know, uh, but to to be putting someone in there without really any experience uh, and again, without any any spring practice and 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 all sorts of other. I mean, this is a part that probably gets overlooked as well. Um, you know, these guys get together and do you know, independent workouts all the time when they're on right. campus, you know, the receivers and the quarterback will get together and throw the ball, you know, they'll run routes, they'll do the thing. Uh, coaches can't be there, but, but they'll do it. Um, you know, they can't do any of that. And then beyond that, you know, I mean, no team activities, you know, obviously everybody's going to have this problem, but you know, how, how in shape are guys going to be, are they going to take care of themselves while they're gone? Um, are we going to have linemen who suddenly show up at, you know, 345 pounds? Yeah, like have the lock, lockout Sean Kemp. Yeah. Like, uh, um, you know, what, what, what exactly are, is going to come back? So I, I, that's not a problem that's, uh, you know, unique to WSU, but same time, uh, you know, when you're transitioning to a new coaching staff and, and a new, new schemes and, and new ideas, uh, I don't know. Any of that kind of stuff makes you feel like it, maybe it's not so great, but, I mean, everybody's dealing with their stuff. And, you know, if this team gets back to a bowl game, I think I feel, I, I don't know, I feel really, really good about that. I, I'm trying not to, um, you know, set my sights too high or too low. And, and so maybe a six-win a six win, uh, judgment there by Vegas is is appropriate. I don't know if this is correct. Would, would uh, um, Bill Double be the only coach to go to a bowl game at WSU in his first year? Um. That's a good question. I could look that up for you real fast if you want to talk about something else. Oh, I don't really want to. I'm just gonna pause. <laughs> I'm just gonna post. Put the question out there. I can look. Um, I can look. Hold on. I, hold I'm on. I'm just thinking back. Like Mike Price didn't go to a bowl game in '89. All right. So Bill um, Doba, yes. Dennis Erickson, no. Jim Walden, no. Yeah. So that would be yes. So that would be accurate. That would be accurate. So yeah, that would be pretty cool. Only Bill you know, Doba. Change, change of staff and. Uh, I mean, this this would be more like similar to the price departure in that the program is in a decent place. Um, um, so obviously, uh, you know, people thought that WSU wasn't going to be as good in 2003, but they still had that defense and uh, Matt Kegel turned out to be, you know, better than I think people thought he was going to be. So yeah. um, that that turned out to be a super fun season. Yes, it did. Those are always the most fun, the ones where you don't have a lot of expectations, as we found out in 2018. So, Go Cougs, yeah. Let's see. So uh, I am going to be – so, again, going to talk about it again because really, like, the downloads are down. We can see. We know it's because you're not not commuting. You're sitting at home. Netflix sounds a lot more interesting than a a podcast. Um, But – but uh yeah like really really um listen to uh the last two episodes of the kook center hour um with uh just going over the 1997 season it is a blast um um, particularly if you're like me and you weren't a kook fan at the time it's really fun uh, to relive it and then i'm sure for those of you that were um it'll just be like a, a great trip down memory memory lane so um Highly recommend checking those out. Um, I'm going to be on that series next, not talking about the 1987 season. Um, um, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, my trip to the uh, 2013 USC game. So I'm really Mm. excited to. That was a pretty special trip for me, which I'll get into on that podcast. So um, if you're listening now, you'll um, if you're listening to this on time, that'll be coming probably later this week as well. So we're still trying to keep this podcast content for you. So if you if you're going for runs or whatever, yeah. load up load up that yeah. load up that podcast. And, uh, Get off your butt. 
believe it or not, I have some things floating around in my head that involve actual writing because I've gotten kind of lazy. And when all I have to do is talk for an hour, like, yeah, I can do that. So I have ideas in my head. I'm going to write. I swear I'm going to write something this week. Maybe two somethings. Ooh. I know. Exciting stuff. Call that a teaser. Yeah. Um, a lot of you emailed me. I gave you shout outs. Uh, for, but I need to still respond to some of the emails. Uh, I'm really bad at that. Um, just ask <laughs> all the bosses I've ever had. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, I'm really good at reading the email and then being like, I, I got to respond to that later and then not doing that. Um, but yeah, so uh, email us podcast versus everyone at gmail.com. Follow me at the Craig Powers. Follow Jeff at Pod versus Everyone. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's you know you're getting shorter episodes right now. I know. <laughs> Just, that's it. This is all we got. Hour and five. That's still pretty good, I think. Still pretty good. Still yeah, pretty I'm good. proud of us. Yeah. Thank you. I'm proud of you, thank Craig. you. Thank you, W. Well, Jeff, I'm proud of you as well. <sighs> Thanks, man. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, we've got hours of podcast content on this channel a week. And if you need something to do, we got you covered. <laughs> you yeah. can sit in your living room, gather the kids around. I don't think we even cussed in this one that much. I don't think so either. I don't like, think I, I, I think I'm, I think I might've said one F bomb at the yeah, start. But I don't think I used any bad words. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Jeff. Oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> Go fucking kooks. If you listened all the way to the end, you got a treat. Go fucking kooks, Craig. <laughs>